There's a huge amount of untapped talent that's got more potential for growth and opportunity, but it has got stuck for some reason. And it tends to be lower social economic groups or non-professional backgrounds that have been hit hardest with that. Welcome to the Business of Being Brilliant, where I explore the human side of work. I talk to business leaders, academics, authors, and other experts about what's helped them to work at their best and how we can create organisations where everyone can flourish. I'm your host, Helen Beedham, organisational expert, speaker, and award-winning author of the Amazon best-selling business book, The Future of Time. You'll find the show notes at helenbeedham.com where you can also sign up for my insights into the latest work trends, plus some exclusive offers to help you flourish at work and home. Now, let's crack on with this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this 65th episode of The Business of Being Brilliant. We're going to hear from this week's guest very shortly, but first here's a brief snapshot of news from me about our world of work and some resources and opportunities that you might find useful or enjoyable or hopefully both. First up is something for your team. And in my February blog, I've reflected on the power of just one thing, which also happens to be the name of a well-known well-being podcast to which I regularly listen. We can apply the just one thing approach to help teams work smarter, not harder. This can be particularly effective if the team has to deliver a big workload with some stretching deadlines and they don't have much time to review their ways of working. So I share a few tips on this in my LinkedIn video posted today, Friday the 23rd of Feb, and you can check out the blog article for more guidance. The links to both are in the show notes. If your team's been working long hours of late and you're wanting to recognise their efforts in a meaningful way, then one thing that is always valued is giving people some time back. At my next free half-hour webinar on Thursday the 14th of March at midday GMT, I'll be explaining how to recharge your talent and sharing the best time-centric benefits that make for happier, high-performing people. To receive the invitation and registration link, sign up to my newsletter via my website and you can unsubscribe afterwards if you want to. Next up is a quick look ahead to March, which is just around the corner and International Women's Day that's happening on Friday the 8th of March. One topic I talk about is the specific challenges that women face when it comes to managing their working time successfully from experiencing greater work intensity, to shouldering the greater share of domestic responsibilities, to being more cautious about asking for a deadline extension. If you're looking to support the women in your organisation in managing the many demands on their time, and you'd like to discuss a possible talk or workshop in March, then drop me a line at hello at and we can chat. And finally, one of the things I talk about shortly with this week's guest is about how we all stand to win by joining forces, even as industry competitors, to collaborate when there's an opportunity and a compelling reason to. 
Even within a single organisation, when I run my time intelligent teams workshops, teams often tell me that it's the touch points and handovers with other teams, those points of collaboration, where bottlenecks and delays happen, often due to mismatched expectations or a lack of understanding of the overall end-to-end -end process. If that's something you're noticing where you work, then check out my Time Intelligent Teams workshop. There's a link in the show notes to download a flyer with full details. Right, let's hear now from this week's guest, who talks compellingly about how to help people who have bumped up against some unforeseen limits and not yet fulfilled their potential. It's really inspiring stuff. Have a listen. I'm delighted to welcome Richard Roundtree as my guest this week. Richard is the Managing Director of Mortgages at Paragon Bank, overseeing the entire mortgage business there. With 30 years of experience in the industry, he's held senior leadership roles at Bank of Ireland, RBS, Santander, Cheltenham and Gloucester and Halifax. In 2019, he chaired UK Finance's Mortgage Product Board and he continues there as a board member. Richard served on the advisory board for the City of London Corporation's Socio-Economic Task Force and he's currently a board member for Progress Together. In recognition for his contributions to socio-mobility, he received the Freedom of the City Award and was named Mortgage Personality of the Year in 2023 by Mortgage Strategy. Welcome to the business of being brilliant, Richard. Thank you very much, Helen. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and to chat with you. And when I was getting ready for our podcasting session, I thought, I wonder what having freedom of the city actually entails. And I did a little bit of research because I'd heard that it involves the right to shepherd your sheep over on the bridge and things. But I gather that's actually not the case. What does no, it mean? That is still absolutely the case. So, and they have a fundraiser every year, once a year, where the liveries get together and the new freemen are able to exercise that right. So, I undertook that back end of last year. So, it's a oh, wow. very, very fun day. Got to bring the family along. So, the, 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 the children came to, to, to enjoy the spectacle as well. So, a fabulous day, but very ceremonial. You know, clearly that's not something we need to be doing nowadays in the centre of London, but it was a really lovely day. That does sound amazing. So, were sheep involved that day? Or? Yes. Yeah, and I wasn't the sole responsible. There was there was people that knew what they were doing with them. You've got to move six sheep across the bridge, and, and I managed to get all six there and back with the help of experts on hand as well. <laughs> oh, it sounds great fun. I bet your family loved that, and um, it was quite an really experience. Awesome. Yeah, making yeah, sure you ended up with, with six on the other side and didn't lose any en route. So, oh, well, I stand corrected. Thank you for putting me straight on that. What a fantastic day. And and one of the things I didn't mention in your bio is that you are executive sponsor of diversity, equity and inclusion at Paragon Bank and um, have been very involved in building a really inclusive culture there. And that sounds like something that's really been of interest and, and something you care about that's built throughout your whole career. So I wondered if you could tell us how you came to be in the position you're in and to be doing some of the things that you're leading on because we're going to come on and talk about a really fantastic middle manager program that you're coordinating across the industry but I'd love to hear the backstory to that first. 
Yeah, sure. And we can talk a little bit later about exactly what that means as being the exec sponsor. That was something I, I was very keen to lean on, a passionate around inclusion and belonging for everybody, really. As a role as an executive, it's my my job to create the conditions where people can reach their potential. And I take that very seriously. And all too often, these type of initiatives are seen as, well, that's an HR function or that's somebody else's responsibility. And I think it's everybody in the businesses to actually ensure that we get the best and create the most opportunity for people to reach their potential. So that, that part maybe come back to in, in a moment but yeah and, and a lot of this has come from my own lived experience in terms of things that have gone well for me not gone so well but the huge amount of learning I've had over that 30 years and, and and certainly the opportunities that I've had and often when you talk about people that progress they talk about luck but really when you get down to it it tends to be somebody seeing something in you and giving you that opportunity whether that's a sponsor or a mentor or somebody that, that's there just maybe to pick you up and dust you down when you make lots of mistakes, uh, as, as everybody does, certainly when they're starting out in their career, that's hugely important. So uh, I think that's incredibly important, paying it forward. But also, it's not just the, the, the right thing to do, it's a smart thing to do. The more we can widen the gate, bring more talent into our organizations, reach deeper into communities to tap into those wider talent pools, I think it just creates better customer outcomes, more diversity of thinking, and better business line of performance, really, for every business. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's clear that you really see the business case for that. And leaders in other organisations do. In some other other organisations, they know it's probably the right thing to do, but it maybe hasn't translated into that real conviction that we need to make that happen in every way possible in our organisation. So, were there particular moments in your career where you had a very positive experience or a very difficult experience that influenced the direction you took from there? Plenty of both, really. And starting off my career, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I came straight from, from college after doing my A-levels. Uh, didn't go on to university. Nobody in my family's ever, ever been to university. But actually, I, I always had this feeling I wanted to work in the city. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. But it, this was back at the early 90s. Uh, there wasn't really those opportunities. And what I did get um, a, a real flavor for early on was the fact uh, you have to get used to rejection. So it, it was a recession in the early 90s hundreds of applications for any vacancy willing to do any sort of entry-level role and every day post bag uh, of rejection or no response whatsoever and that resilience that builds up you can lose a bit of confidence really in terms of are you ever going to get given an opportunity but I was given an opportunity and it was not in London um, but I thought I'd maybe do this for a while to get to, to understand what I wanted to do and fell into an opportunity with Halifax Building Society it was at the time entry-level role starting as a cashier in Rayleigh branch back in the 90s and it was there really in terms of when I first arrived you have these perceptions of what this place is going to be like I've always worked since very early early on and, and built lots of social skills and dealing with adults etc but it wasn't until I actually arrived in my first role within Halifax that I thought there's a real opportunity here to do something pretty special. It's it's based on meritocracy. Not everybody here is a mass genius and ultimately brilliant, all these things that you build up in your own mind. But it wasn't until somebody saw something in me about six months in where they saw that I had potential and they had a program, which was a seed for what we're going to come on to talk to about later on, where it, it, you were taken out of your day job and moved around different parts of the bank 
for two years. And if you were successful in completing that program, given your first supervisor position mm. very early on, and for me, I don't think I'd be here today if I wasn't given that opportunity. So one, somebody saw something in me. Secondly, that sponsorship and taking a real interest. And it was, for me, first chance to open up my eyes to learn about myself, what skills I had, what development I had, huge amount of development, and that lifelong learning and, and interest in continuing to want to in, improve and be a better version of yourself, that sparked from very, very early on in that program. Yes, and th- it is so rewarding, isn't it, when someone sees something in you in terms of your potential ability and the future path you could take, when you perhaps haven't noticed that yourself or feel confident in that. And it just starts opening doors and setting your mind in a new direction as to where you could go, right? And when we chatted before, you um, mentioned to me that really helped you progress for a number of years there. But then you did experience a different kind of barrier when you got more senior in the organisation. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think that... that, that... That was the platform to start to do well and build that confidence. And as I say, it's certainly an organisation built on meritocracy uh, to a point, I felt, at that time. So progressed very, very well, um, built a good track record, um, had that air cover from that sponsor. As I say, when you when you do make mistakes um, and able to sort of dust you down and, and, and support you. But also that, that fast progression was quite linear. So I think the longest I was in role was that first supervisor job where I was still living at home, barely knew anything about the, the, the corporate world and was managing a team of people much more experienced and, uh, and older than me and more worldly wise. And, and uh, it, it taught me a lot about the do's and don'ts in terms of managing other people. And it was very much managing at that stage, it wasn't leadership as I know it today. So, so that was a, a big wake up call. Um, but also, I think I was in that role for three or four years, which is the longest I've been in, in a job for a it was certainly at that time and for some time afterwards, but then progressed pretty quickly from then onwards. So regular promotions, bigger jobs. And, and that's one thing I learned is there's, there's broadly three stages uh, of your career. Then it just adds more complexity and, and bigger teams. You, you go from uh, managing yourself to managing others and then from managing others to, to uh, managing managers. And they're the, they're the big step ups. And that first time of going from managing yourself to managing others is huge. And I don't think we prepare our leaders and their future leaders, even today, well enough to, to make that adjustment. There's a big, big opportunity to do that. But yeah, pro- progressed pretty well. And I was at Halifax for 15 years, 14 years. I'll say I absolutely loved it. Could have cut me in half and had a blue X running through me. And I, I went for a role, a more strategic role that had a sort of a functional role in a, a regional office rather than out in the retail bank and in the branches. And I was unsuccessful for that role. And I got the feedback around having to reinvent myself. And, and I really struggled with that at the time. And it's probably the most painful feedback I'd had, very honest feedback. And it's probably the best feedback I had as well. It didn't feel like it at the time, but certainly what I did need to do is exactly that, to, to broaden my skill set and not become so linear and almost a one-trick pony in what I'd done. But that was my first example of hitting this barrier where it seemed that, yeah, I think you're good at that, but I'm not sure we'd really trust you with something a bit more strategic or running a PL. I, I, I know I wouldn't be able to reinvent myself in an organization that's known me since I was 17 um, and took the really difficult decision to leave. But um, that's when my, I think my, my career and my learning took on a, a new level and new, new experiences in terms of doing something very, very different. I'm, I'm glad I did do that, not settled. 
Yeah, yeah. And so that realisation that you needed to move if you're going to reinvent yourself and take on more strategic roles and get those experiences under your belt. That experience you had yourself, is that something that you've heard since then other managers express frustration with? Because one of the things I know you're, you're very aware of and you're trying to help resolve is the number of people at that middle management level who feel a bit stuck in their career and not able to progress further. So how have you become aware that it wasn't just you that hit a brick wall at that point in your career, but actually lots of other managers do as well? Well, I, I certainly wasn't aware at the time. And that's why it's difficult to deal with. It felt very personal. And that, that yeah. was, I was the only person going through this experience. Absolutely not. It, it, subsequently, what I have learned, and in terms of where corporate culture has been and where it's moved on, but still a lot more to do. And I think that we still try to fix people rather than the process. And a lot of organizations reward fit and polish over performance. And I think that's a real challenge. And uh, certainly when you've come from non-professional background, more humble beginnings, you don't necessarily have the network or that level of confidence in terms of being able to overcome some of these barriers. And I think part of it is it's very easy to hide your background as well. It's not like with gender, ethnicity, it's obviously very obvious, visible. Your background can, can be hidden and people put too much time and energy in hiding their background or trying to create the impression they think they need to do to for that fit and polish and that can come down to regional accents it can come down to where you went to school and where you were, or if you went to university what your parents did all those things have an impact and what i have learned subsequently is talking more openly about this and sharing my story the amount of people that have contacted me to say I really felt like you was talking about my experience. I, I don't feel confident yet I could have this conversation, but it really resonated. How did you overcome that? And then that's a big part of what we do at Progress Together is it's not just the, the getting into organizations, it's how you progress for those organizations. And the point you make, and I think there's there's a number of factors here. One is around confidence levels in terms of people get to a certain point and just settle because they feel like they've, they've, they've reached their natural point of their career progression. Or they, they, they look at an opportunity for a promotion and think, well, I don't quite tick all of those boxes. I'm not going to put myself forward. Or, or the fire goes out a little bit in terms of just been in an organization a long time. I feel like I've reached that, that pinnacle of what I could do and not given those stretch projects or opportunities, don't have a sponsor or, or haven't been mentored and developed to, to take it on to that next, next level. So there is, and I would describe it as a permafrost in, in a lot of organizations where people have either settled or hit those natural limits and, and I think part of that is down to not preparing people for the leadership that's required nowadays. It's not about managing and overseeing tasks. It's got incredibly more complex in terms of getting the most out of our organizations and supporting people to reach their potential. That is the job now in terms of a big part of the job. There's so much more organizations can do to, to, to prepare people and tap into that rich talent we have and not always necessarily have to go for experience hires externally. Because when you get to senior levels, if you look across financial services, 89% of senior leaders come from a professional background uh, based on their, their parental occupation at age 14. That tends to be the, the benchmark and the guide internationally. Um, but, but also, they don't necessarily have that network and confidence to think, well, if I can't reach my potential here, I, I'm, I'm going to take the plunge and, and look elsewhere. Yeah, because it can feel so daunting when you've already worked for a number of years and reached a certain level of seniority. It can be really daunting at that point to then move and, and feel like you've got to start growing your own 
network again in a new organization and establish your brand and build the trust and credibility in what you can do and achieve and that kind of is a double whammy really then isn't it it's almost easier to just stay put and stay in that comfort zone as you say but then never really take the leap so yeah so tell us about this middle manager program that you're doing because I know you care passionately about this issue about helping people to overcome barriers in organizations that are are getting in the way of them progressing to right up to senior levels but you're not just paying attention to this at Paragon you're looking at it across the industry so I'd love to hear about how that's happening and how how you're taking that forward sorry so yeah yeah and and progress together have been fantastic so uh, in terms of progress together is that not-for-profit startup which is really looking about progression of of, of talent in in financial services and we now have membership 30 percent of um, all financial services firms are now members and that's created a great platform um, to to really make change in this industry and it's been based on evidence from the bridge group that helped us really build an evidence base because we need that to, to support the business case but in terms of specifically around the development program, one of the things I could see quite early on is exactly what we've been talking about. There's a huge amount of untapped talent that's got more potential for the growth and opportunity, but it has got stuck for some reason. And it tends to be those for sort of lower social economic groups or non-professional backgrounds that have been hit hardest with that. Pulling back on my early experience from the development program I've been fortunate enough to be part of was thinking about how could we do this, but bring it forward for, for for today to make it more relevant and, and knowing what we've known over the last couple of decades a huge amount of energy and resources has gone into graduate programs and that's fantastic but i think what we have done is we've um, overlooked the talent we already have in in organizations and firms have the future aspiring leaders programs and things like that but there's nothing across the industry that's really looking to accelerate people to those exco exco minus one and board positions of the future that, making that that talent pipeline wider um, so it was this, that's planted the seed of the idea. Uh, and what Progress Together has allowed us to do is to have those conversations with like-minded organisations. Because if you start from a point of the challenges of doing such an ambitious programme, you'd never get started. You, we're looking to rotate individuals around different organisations. Now, if you, if you think about the competition law, antitrust, secondments, keeping in contact with your host firms, all of that, you, you would never get started. It's back to your point about you need to leap um, sometimes before you look just to get going. And, and the brilliant thing here is we, we do have um, a number of organizations that are, that, that are like-minded to think, I get it, we're, we're all in, let's make this happen. Um, and over the last 18 months, we've created th- this program um, to do exactly that. So we, we were just on board in delivery partners to deliver some of the best um, training I've ever seen across financial services, but also this USP in terms of being able to come out of your existing organization and rotate in two rotations of six months around different organizations to broaden your skills, widen your network and experiences, and don't live in that bubble that often many of us do if we spend a lot of time in one organization. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but we do become a bit institutionalized in our thinking. So we're very excited about this. Uh, We're very close to, to launching the pilot, which we're hoping to have up and running within the next three months. Yeah, sounds amazing. And best wishes for the pilot. Um, really be following with great interest how that goes. And I started my career on a rotational programme back in, in retail. And actually, I never finished it because such a great opportunity came up 
halfway through in the store that I thought, yeah, I want to go do that. I absolutely understand you have to put in place certain protocols around you no know, poaching of each other's talent and all of that. But equally, there will be so many conversations, professional relationships, yeah. ideas and connections that spark during that time for people that I'm sure when they get back to their organisation, they will be in a different place to, to when they left. Completely agree. And I think the, your point around poaching, it's, it's really interesting because that, that came up and it showed a lot about the mindset in terms of those firms that, that are part of this pilot. Because speaking to some firms, there was very much, oh, we've been involved in similar sort of programs, but we've lost people. And, and that to me really was a bit of a wake up call in terms of what a way to look at it rather than what have we not got right here to, to enable our people to thrive and continue. It's almost a risk of better not developing them as they leave. And one thing we've created in this is... Actually, the no poaching rule only applies while you're on the program. All bets are off after that. And actually, we need to encourage some movement. If, if you cannot, if you go back to your organization, all this energy, if you, you're going to bring a lot back to your host firm. But equally, if you don't feel that there's potential for you to fulfill your potential there, of course, we need, we need some of that movement. I think that's a good thing. And it's on us as firms to create such a great experience when people are rotating to us that, They'd love to come and come, come and work with us. I think that's that's the difference in the mindset we've got between um, this pilot that's going to run and also the fact that normally these type of programs, every single detail needs to be laid out. Now that mm. this is going to change and the, the pilot approach we've got is we broadly 80% know what the program's going to do, but we need to run the pilot to get that learning. And I think what we're going to do, there's going to be 30 individuals that will be part of this pilot and we will be showcasing their development. And I think that's going to create a, a huge amount of fear of missing out and expectation for, for people to say, why haven't we got something like that? How do I become part of this program? Because the ambition is then to scale that right the way across financial services and create this exciting energy of people to be able to move and grow and, and, and power the, the talent we need in financial services for the future because there's there's a lot of headwinds on talent and especially around uh, what we need to do in technology at the moment we need to modernize and we need to create the conditions where people can really fulfill their potential in financial services rather than having to go to tech or somewhere else why can't they do that in, in, in fs yeah i love the ambition and the way you describe we want to give people a sense of fomo to encourage them to participate in future um rollouts of it and so Coming back to the business case for doing it, it's, it's great that through Progress Together, you've been able to connect with other organisations that kind of get the opportunity here for individuals and for the business. But thinking longer term as well about, as you say, the ambition to scale up and roll this out across the industry. Are you planning to measure certain things to help prove the effectiveness of the programme and I guess put together a business case to persuade other organisations why they should care about this and why they should consider participating yeah exactly that and, and you, you do need the, the, there's two things you need one you need the data and the evidence so we do have key success factors which we're going to be measuring across this but ultimately it's going to be about progression and, and we, we already have through progress together 150,000 individuals benchmarked anonymously but but actually able to benchmark your own organization in terms of where people are on their their, their career now and so measuring how this is going to happen, because I think that's going to be key. Uh, but also, I think rather than just data and evidence and numbers, that's important. Uh, but I think the way I describe it is almost you need to play to the chess club and to the drama club as well. So you need real human stories as well to bring this to life. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do as senior leaders and part of this program 
is share our stories and share our successes and do that authentically. And the more we can get senior leaders to do that, I think it's, it's critical. And certainly my experience of, 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 of progress together has been once you get buy-in at the top, the problems and the barriers pretty much fall away. There's a lot to do. There's limited resources. And, and certainly one of the things we found here at Paragon, we are found a member of Progress Together. CEO and board buy-in at the top level just makes things happen. And yeah. right the way through Paragon now, we have an EDI network, which brings together all aspects of the great work we're doing here, rather than competing for resources and voice. And it's very much embedded in the business and not seen as an HR function, which I think sometimes it can almost be, well, that, that's something for, for HR to worry about and, and not necessarily uh, for the business. And so we've made huge progress in that. Yes, that sounds a great place to have reached that it's really owned and led by the leadership team and the accountability for making it a very inclusive culture is really embedded throughout the business. So we've been talking mainly about the barriers that particularly middle managers experience in being able to progress up to senior management roles. And I guess often that might discourage people not just from trying to go for the next promotion, but actually staying longer term in the industry as well but to flip to the other side of the coin I presume there are also problems about people staying too long in the role there's like a dark side to to long tenure in a role so can you tell me a little bit about what you've observed about that? Yeah, I think having worked across big banks, mid-tiers, specialists, smaller firms it depends on the culture of that organization. If if that's the measure of reward, that almost you need to do your time to get on, then that's problematic. I think that not necessarily tenure is a problem more generally, but I think it's that fact you become institutionalized in your thinking. So you narrow your thinking, you don't have, there's a whole big world going on outside your organization. And if that starts to limit your curiosity, keep keeping up to date with latest trends, and certainly this is something that's going to, or it's already exploding, but going to accelerate around the use of technology and artificial intelligence, really thinking more broadly. If you're doing that in your firm, great. But my experience has been, unless you have that spending time externally to your firm, you can become a bit inward looking. I think that's where it becomes problematic. And, And if you create a culture where it's based on Uh, tenure that drives promotion and as long as you do your time you move on that's again problematic now that's not what I've seen everywhere and I've seen good bad and indifferent as you can imagine but but certainly rewarding that curiosity and based on performance as well I think that's key in terms of your rewarding performance not not just length of service And, and, and one of the things I think we need to really address not just in financial services I think probably more broadly is the fact that preparing our leaders for the future and what they need to be doing and thinking about to, to, to help everyone reach their potential, it's, it's tended to be, if you're great at something, you got promoted, um, but how well we've prepared those people. If you've got skills to deliver a task, it doesn't mean necessarily you're going to be a great leader. Um, so I think we can get better at preparing our leaders. Again, part of what we're looking to do in this program is accelerate that curiosity and learning for for leadership skills that are needed now and and likely in the future. Yes, and I love uh, that encouragement to really, for companies to really focus on curiosity and learning as a critical mindset and 
I guess, behaviour that will help propel you to the top, but also being quite explicit that that's something we want to see in our leaders because we need that open thinking, that ability to spot opportunities that may be a bit murky and hidden and not obvious yet and to have some really different thinking. So I love the sound of that. It's been absolutely fantastic hearing about the programme. I'm wishing you all the best with the programme. I'm really keen to hear how that progresses. And if people want to get in touch, if they're interested in following the pilot or getting in touch with you professionally, what's the best way for people to do that? The best way to do that would be through Progress Together, uh, where we have a, a whole range of things. The program's just one thing, but in terms of what else we can do to help your organization, wherever you're starting on your journey, if, it's, if this is new to you or you're well advanced, we've got so much insight and support we can give you in terms of accelerating your, your learning for, for, for this area in terms of driving talent. So that, that would be my first point. But um, you'd be hard pressed to miss um, what's going to be going on with this pilot because the ambition is to really amplify this across socials. Uh, anyone wants to reach out to me personally, again, they can contact me. Um, I'm sure, Helen, you can I can provide my my contact details but also uh, via LinkedIn happy to, yeah. to pick up with anybody that's curious or prompted any interest about anything we've spoken about today great thank you that's really generous of you and I'll put a link to progress together and to your profile on LinkedIn in the show notes so people can easily get in touch and stay informed on uh, all the progress of the pilot so it sounds really exciting times for you many congratulations on getting to this point because I'm sure there's huge amount of effort and work and conversations uh, going into making the pilot happen in the first place and I think one of the things I'm taking away from our conversation out of many things is that that you know don't think just about your own organization but think about actually the opportunity that lies there to join forces and tackle something on a much bigger scale and the other thing I think has really resonated for me is throughout you've kept coming back to the human side of people in their jobs and their experiences of work and talking about oneself, sharing one's stories, connecting at the human level. I think that's just so incredibly powerful for anybody. So thank you so much for being a brilliant guest. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Thank you, Helen. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please rate the podcast online, leave a review and share it with friends. And if you like to watch as well as listen, don't forget the videos are also on my YouTube channel. See you next Monday. Have a great week and keep on being brilliant. Brilliant.